morning as you're seated. If you have your Bibles, I hope you'll take them out. And this morning we're going to continue our study in the book of Luke, so turn to Luke chapter 11. We're just walking through Luke verse by verse, chapter by chapter, just reading the greatest story ever told because it's the story of Jesus Christ. And in this book, we're learning all about Jesus. And so today we're going to learn something that Jesus tells us and commands us to do. So look there in Luke chapter 11. And then before we look there, we're going to quote our Bible verse. We are memorizing scripture together as a church. Many of our small groups, our life groups are doing this. Our youth are doing this. Our children are doing this as well. We're memorizing the Sermon on the Mount together. So we started memorizing in Matthew chapter 5. And we've just been doing two, two verses a week. So now we're down to verse 15 and 16. That was your memory verses today. So we're going to quote them. We're going to say them this morning. I'm going to say them, but I'm not going to say them by myself. Amen? You're going to say them with me. So yes, yes. So you're going to say them with me. And so I might stop somewhere and you might have to keep going, right? Yeah, that's really pitiful. So, okay, we're going to say them together, not by myself. So we're going to start quoting Matthew 5, and I'm going to start in verse 15. And I'm doing the New Living Translation, so that's the version I'm memorizing. So hopefully you are as well, so I won't mess you up. But this is what the Bible says. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead... Lamp is placed on a lampstand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Praise their heavenly Father. Amen. That's better. Much better than what normally happens. Usually it's by myself. Well, amen. That's verse 15 and 16. And guess what? We're going to read the same thing in Luke chapter 11 this morning. We are going to see the exact same thing Jesus Christ says at a different time in his ministry, but the same teaching. Because he reiterates it. So I'm pretty sure that God wants me to preach on this text today. So that's what we're going to do. Because we've memorized it and now we've come to it in the book of Luke. And of course today is all about missions. As we just talk about what God has called us to do as a people and as a church. One thing I realize as I get older. Is I start realizing that I have a lot of shortcomings. And you don't have to tell me about them because I'm realizing them right. So you'll keep them to yourself. I'll just come up with the ones I like anyway. But I do realize all of my shortcomings. And one of the shortcomings I realize that I have, not only as a person, but as a pastor especially, is I don't just take time to stop and say thank you. I'm not good at stopping and saying thank you because I'm always moving on to the next thing. I'm always thinking about what we need to do next and better and bigger or whatever. And that's just the way my mind works. But I really, as I thought this week kind of about this text and as I thought about missions, I just truly, as your pastor, want to stop and say thank you. Because as I thought about all the things just in the last couple of years, few years that we've done missionally, not only here in our community, but around the world and in our nation, it just amazes me. It truly amazes me that God has called us, a church in Northport, Alabama, to plant churches in Phoenix, Arizona, in a place that is 90% lost, but is the fastest growing city in America. And we're doing that. We have two church plants, and this month we'll have our church plant start its very first service, Freedom Church. And so Chris will be here tonight, I told you that. But we've literally had people out of our church move from here all the way to Phoenix, Arizona, just to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That amazes me. It amazes me the partnerships we have around the world in places like China and North Africa and the Middle East, just telling people about the gospel. And we've been able to minister to our missionaries and shepherd them so that they can stay on the field. That is something that God has called this church to do, to minister to missionaries in a way that nobody else is doing so that God can fulfill his call through them. 
We're seeing God do things right here, bringing nations to Tuscaloosa County. And we're having ESL classes where over six, seven nations are represented on this campus every week. That just amazes me. But all that's possible because of you, because of your faithfulness. Not only to pray, but to share and to go and to give. So thank you for your faithfulness. I don't know if you realize this, but in the Southern Baptist Convention, there are about 46,000 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. But if you look at the giving of those churches per capita, our church is in the top half percent, not the top one percent, but the top half percent of churches that give to Lottie Moon and to Annie Armstrong. That's how we give missionally to our North America Mission Board and to the International Mission Board. As a church, we're in the top half percent per capita. I mean, that's amazing. And it's because of your faithfulness. And I just want to stop and thank you for your faithfulness. But I want to say this. We must do more. We must do more. Because we live in a world that is dying without hope. Every day they are dying without hope. This week I read an article. And it was in Bloomberg and it was from October 30th, just the day before Halloween. And the article caught my attention because this is the title of the article. It says, life expectancy at birth for males has declined in the last 10 years. Now the reason that caught my attention is because I've heard for the last 20 or 30 years that life expectancy has been increasing, not decreasing. And I mean, it just makes sense. Think about the advancements in medicine. Think about what we know about food and exercise and the things we shouldn't be doing, like smoking or things like that. So you would just incur that life expectancy is increasing, increasing, increasing. And that's what we've heard for so many years. But the last 10 years, that's not the case for adult males. Why? Well, the article tells us why. And this is what it says. It says later in the article, the decline in life expectancy of adult males is occurring because of deaths from despair. Deaths from despair. That's what the article says. It says from 2007 to 2017, the mortality rate in adult males from drug overdose has increased 82%. In the same period of time, the mortality rate for adult males has increased because the suicide rate has increased 24%. In the last 10 years, drug overdoses has increased 82%. Suicide has increased 24%. That's what they call death from despair. Why are adult males killing themselves? Because they have no hope. It's not because they don't have enough money. It's not because they don't have enough things. Because God knows in America, we have all that. But they don't have Jesus. And if it were enough to listen to a podcast, if it were enough to watch a television show, or read a book, or listen to the radio, then everybody in America would be saved. Amen? Because God knows we've got enough of that stuff. But obviously, that's not what the America needs. And what happens to the church is we cop out in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ because we say, oh, they can get it from that. They can go listen to the radio. They can listen to a podcast. They can give a book. They can read a track. But that's not how God designed for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know how God designed for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ? By you telling them. 
through relationship and through community and through neighbors and friends and co-workers, whatever. He designed it so that you could share what God has done in your life through Jesus Christ and then their life be transformed. That's why Paul says in Romans 10, for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how can they call upon His name if they have never heard? And how can they hear if no one tells? And how will anyone tell if they have not been sent? Many quotes Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news of salvation. Guess what? You are the feet on the mountains who bring the good news of salvation. And if you don't bring the good news of salvation, then no one will. And it's not enough to listen to a podcast or a radio or watch a television program or read a book. They must hear the gospel because faith comes from what? Hearing and hearing the word of God. That's what the Bible says. So we must share the gospel. So that the world will know. The second shortcoming I've realized this week. And really over the past few weeks and months honestly. Is that as a pastor I have done a very poor job. Of making you prophetically aware. What I mean by that is I mean that we just don't understand the day in which we live. I believe with all my heart that we are living in the last days and not just the last days, but the very last days. What do I mean by that? I believe we are living in the day just before Jesus Christ returns, which is the promise of his word. That's what he says just before he ascends into heaven. And just after he ascends into heaven, the angels stand there to the disciples who had just watched Jesus go up into the sky. And they say, why are you standing here gawking in the air? You'll see him come back the same way you saw him leave. Go read Acts 1. You'll read it. Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. And he tells us in Matthew 24, he says, there are going to be signs so that you know when I come. And one of the things he says, he says, there's going to be birth pains. What does he mean like that? Well, for you ladies who have ever given birth, you realize that when you first become pregnant, what happens? Well, your body starts to change and you start becoming a little more uncomfortable and you start having pain. But as you increase in that pregnancy, what happens to the pain and the frequency thereof? Does it not become more intense and more frequent? Of course it does. And right before birth, the pain becomes almost constant. There are contractions that cause pain and they are constants. And that's what Jesus says. Right before I come back, there are going to be birth pains so that you realize the end is near. And we are in that last trimester of those birth pains. And we don't see it. We don't open our eyes and see the evil around us, the darkness around us. We don't understand the hopelessness around us. And the world needs Jesus. But God has placed us in a day like no other day in history. And He has chosen you to live in this day for His purpose and to accomplish the task of taking the gospel to everyone on this earth so that they have a chance to believe in Jesus Christ before He returns. Because when He returns, guess what? It's too late. And He has placed you on this earth to that end. But we don't even realize it. We make excuses. We say, well, God can't use me. I mean, how is God going to use our church to reach the nations? We don't have enough people. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough prayer. Well, let me tell you something. Don't you tell God what he can or cannot do through you or through this church. Don't tell him what he can do. Because he can do anything he wants. And if you don't believe that, go read the Bible. Go read about Moses. Go read about Joshua. Go read about David and Elijah. 
Go read about Paul and Peter and the Apostle John. Go read about them. Listen, if God tells you to take a water pistol and charge hell, what should you do? You should go buy a super soaker and fill it with water. That's what you should do. Because He can do anything through you. If you are just obedient. But we don't realize that. So we just keep doing life the same way we've been doing it. We just keep doing church the same way we've been doing it. And what result are we getting? The same old garbage we get doing. God has called us in the day in which we live to do more than we have ever done. Because the hour is late. The world is dark. And they need Jesus. Here's reality. He didn't tell us to take a water pistol and charge hell. But he did tell us to take a flashlight and go into a dark world and illuminate it. That's what he says. And this morning I want you to see it through his word. We've already quoted it. Now let's read it. So if you have your Bible, look there in Luke 11. I'm just going to start reading in verse 33. Jesus reiterates what he did earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, no one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is bad, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. If you are filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. Remember... These verses are just a few months before Jesus Christ is going to die on the cross. And he knows that. So now what he says is paramount. It is important and it is the most important things he could say. And so here he just does a very practical teaching using something common in every day in people's life. Trying to share with people the supernatural things that he can do through us. If we will just be obedient to his word. So this morning, I just want you to know what his word says all the way through so you can understand what Jesus Christ is telling us this morning. The first thing you have to understand about what Jesus is saying and understand why we are light is because we live in a dark world. Our world in which we live is dark. Now, the definition of darkness is just this. It's the absence of light or it means without direction. And since the beginning of time, there has been a conflict between light and darkness. In the very beginning, in Genesis 1, the Bible says the first thing that God did when He created this earth, when He created time, is He said, let there be light. Why? Because light is who God is. It is how God reveals His presence. But the very next thing that happens in the book of Genesis is darkness tries to overtake or overcome the light. And in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve choose to live life without direction rather than to live in God's presence. And that's what they've chosen. And since then, we have all chosen that. We have chosen to live by our own path and by our own wants and our own desires rather than to live by God and what He says. And it has always been that way since the beginning of time. And it will always be that way until Jesus Christ returns. 
But what we must understand prophetically in the world in which we live is our world is growing darker and darker and darker. And that is one of the signs that the return of Jesus Christ is near. I know what you're thinking. Well, why is our world darker now than it was in the day of Jesus? Why is it darker now than it was even 100, 200 years ago? Well, let me tell you. Today in our world, there are 7 billion people. And over 80% of them live in darkness because they don't know Jesus. They don't have light that leads to life. 7 billion people. In Jesus' day, there were roughly about 100 million people living on this earth. Now, that's still a lot of people, but it's not 7 billion. 120 years ago, in 1900, there were a billion people on this earth. So in the last 120 years, there has been an increase in population from a billion to 7 billion and if you don't know what a billion is, it's a lot. That is a lot of people. And when 80 or more percent of those live in darkness without hope in Jesus Christ, there is a lot of evil in this world. There is a lot more sin in this world. There is a lot more darkness in this world. So our world is growing darker and darker and darker and darker. And I wish I was just talking about places like North Africa or the Middle East or Southeast China. But I'm talking about the United States of America. The world that we live is dark. I love our country, and I'm so thankful that God allowed me to be born here and live here. But listen, the world in which we live needs Jesus, and I'm talking about America. Just think about these three things. The United States of America leads the world in violent crime by far. The United States of America leads the world in divorce rate. The United States of America leads the world in pornographic consumption by far. We're not the biggest country in the world. Not even close. But we lead the world in those three categories. Why? Because our world is dark. It is because our world needs Jesus Christ. And here's the problem for us Christians. The problem for us Christians is we just become accustomed to the darkness. What we try to do is we try to fit into the darkness so that we can live comfortably. It's like this. Have you ever gone into a really nice restaurant? And most nice restaurants are really dark. Have you ever noticed that? You know why restaurants are dark that are really nice and expensive? Because they don't want you seeing the prices on the menu. That's why. That's why. Seriously, think about it. If you're like me, when you go into a dark place, you can't read the menu right off, can you? So you don't run out the door. So what happens is your eyes have to adjust to the light, right? And over time, your eyes adjust to the light, and then you see those prices, and it's too late. You've already ordered a drink or something, you're already sitting there, and you feel bad about leaving. That's why they do that. But the same thing has happened to us as Christians in the world in which we live. Our eyes, our lives have adjusted to the darkness. And no longer do we see things that we used to see. No longer do things bother us that used to bother us. Why? Because we've adjusted. We want to fit in. And we want to live comfortably. So we just accommodate the darkness. Many years ago, Vance Havner was a great preacher. And just before his death in 1964, he wrote these words. And I just want you to think about these words today, 55 years later. If they were true then, how much more true are they today? But in 1964, he said, we are living in the dark. 
Men love darkness rather than light because of their deeds, and their deeds are evil. The depths of present-day human depravity are too vile for any word in our language to describe. We not only live in the dark, we get used to it. There is a slow, subtle, sinister brainwashing process going on, and by it we are gradually becoming desensitized to evil. There was a time when sin shocked us. But as the brainwashing process continues, what once amazed us now only amuses us. It's true. I wish that was the worst part, that we just accommodate darkness. But the problem for many Christians is not that we just accommodate darkness. We have mistaken darkness for light. That's what Jesus says in verse 35. He says, make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. He is warning us for mistaking darkness for light. Isaiah 5 says it like this. Woe to them who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. The problem is Christians. Is we've not only become accustomed to the light. But for many Christians, it's okay to live in the darkness. And what we do is we just say, well, that darkness is really light. And we just flip what the Word of God says. We interpret what the Word of God says. And we reinterpret it to say what we want it to say and to fit our culture and to fit our criteria rather than to fit God's Word. So it happens like this. Preachers, pastors, churches will no longer call sin, sin. They'll no longer call evil, evil, and right, right. They'll say, well, that might be right for you, but let me tell you, maybe there's just a better way. Or they'll say things and couch it in such a way that people don't understand the truth of the Word of God. And I understand why they're doing it. I understand that they want people to know the message of the gospel, and they don't want to push them away by saying something offensive. But listen to me, the gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive. It is. It has to be. In nature, it has to be. Why? If you don't understand you're a sinner, then why do you need a Savior? You don't. And when we don't call sin, sin, and call sinners, sinners, then guess what? They don't need a Savior. Guess what? I'm a sinner. I am. So are you. And your sin and my sin has separated me from God. God loved me so much that He sent His Son Jesus to die the death I deserved and to bear my wrath for sin and my judgment for sin on the cross so that if I will believe in Him, then I will be saved. That's the gospel. But the problem, people don't hear the gospel because they don't know the bad news associated with it. You cannot have good news without bad news. And the bad news is, we are sinners and that sin leads to death. The good news is that Jesus Christ saves. The most unloving thing you can do for someone is not to call out their sin. That is the most unloving thing you can do. Not loving, because unless they realize they're a sinner and repent from their sin and turn to God, they cannot be saved according to the Word of God. Now, you can listen to some fandangled preacher say what he wants to say, but he is a liar. Don't listen to him. I don't care how sharp his tongue is and how great his words are. He is a heretic from the pit of hell. And there are many in our day 
who do not speak truth. And one day they will answer to God. Don't let that be you. That's why we're called to not only believe the Word of God, but to preach the Word of God. Not what we like and what we don't like, but all of it. Why? Because it's all from God. Not the New Testament and not the Old. Don't listen to that garbage that Andy Stanley preaches. The Old Testament is God's Word. Don't listen to somebody that says, oh, don't read the Old Testament. That's heretical. And they will stand before God and they will give an account for that because they're leading people astray. Don't listen to it. I don't understand that. Why you can take the Bible and turn it upside down and say, well, God didn't really mean that or God maybe meant that. Well, if he didn't mean it all, how do you know what he meant? You don't. And if you can take one thing out of Scripture, guess what? You can take salvation out of Scripture. It's either all or nothing. It's that way. So stand on it all because it is the truth of God. It is. And our world needs to know that. But thank God He did not leave us in a world of darkness alone. He sent light. He sent light. I want you to see that this morning. I want you to see the light of God. There's so much here and I don't have the time to say it. But I just want you to see all through the Bible what God has done for us. So that we can know him through Christ Jesus. God is light. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Throughout scripture, what God has done is he has revealed himself to this world and who he is through light. That's how you know the presence of God is there. His glory is revealed in light. Go back all the way to Exodus and you see this in Exodus. We saw it in Genesis 1. He said, let there be light. But in Exodus 3, you see it when he meets Moses at Mount Sinai. Moses has run away and he's run away from God, but he's watching flock and he just happens to come next to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, and there God meets him in a burning bush. Moses is intrigued because he sees a bush burning, flames, fire, light, but that bush is not consumed. And out of that bush, God speaks to him. This is what he says. He says, Moses, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on the holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. And what God tells him there, he tells him that his people are in captivity in Egypt. And he's going to send Moses to Pharaoh and to speak to Pharaoh to lead his people to the promised land to free them. And that's what he does. We know about the plagues and we know about the Passover lamb. We know about the Red Sea and how God miraculously saved his people. And Moses led them. And guess where he takes them? He comes right back to this place, Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. And on Mount Sinai, God's glory is there. And how's God's glory revealed? With billows of smoke, with lightning, and with fire, with light. The people are afraid of it, so they send Moses up to talk to God. 
And while Moses is up there talking to God, this is what God says. He says, Moses, I'm about to send you into the promised land and I'm going to go with you. I want you to build a tabernacle there because that's where my presence will dwell. I will dwell among my people. I will tabernacle with you. And so he gives Moses all these instructions about going into the promised land. But Moses is up there so long, the people down on the ground think that God's forgotten about them. So they start worshiping other gods. They build a golden calf, an idol, out of gold and whatever they have. And they are worshiping. And when Moses comes down, he sees that and he can't believe it. And then in Exodus 33, what God says, he says, Go, I'm going to let you have the land, but you're going to have it without me. I'll give you everything I promised you, but you're going to do it without my presence. And this is what Moses says. He says in verse 15, If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably upon me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on this earth. Your presence among us is what sets us apart. Moses realized something that the other people never realized. That no one realized until Jesus Christ comes back. Because the Bible says Jesus is the light of the world. God sent him here as light. And we know that Jesus, according to the book of Colossians, is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus is the light of the world. And to bring this full circle, if you go read John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, the people of Israel are celebrating a festival called the Festival of the Tabernacles. And Jesus is in Jerusalem in John chapter 8 on the Festival of the Tabernacles. What is the Festival of the Tabernacles? Go back to Exodus 33. Go back to Mount Sinai. What are they trying to celebrate? The presence of God. And what they do every year at the Festival of the Tabernacle is they would illuminate the tabernacle. They had four huge golden candelabras and they would put large torches on them. And each torch would have five liters of oil so that they would burn bright and burn big. And they would light them at the night of the Festival of the Tabernacle. And it would illuminate the temple. And it was so bright it would illuminate the whole city of Jerusalem. What were they trying to do? Recreate the image of God. They were trying to mimic the presence of God because they didn't have the presence of God. And so the day after that, the morning after that, before dawn, Jesus goes to the temple to teach and a crowd gathers around him. And this is the scene. The Pharisees catch a woman in adultery and they throw her at Jesus' feet. They say, we caught her in the act, Jesus. What do you say? Should we stone her? Should we let her go? They all have rocks ready to stone her. And what does the Bible say Jesus does? He kneels down and he starts to ride in the dirt. Why is he riding in the dirt? To take them back to Mount Sinai. How did God give the Ten Commandments? By riding it with his finger. And that's when Jesus says, he who has no sin cast the first stone. Of course, they drop stones and leave. And Jesus is standing there with a woman. And he tells her that she has been forgiven and go and sin no more. And now the sun is beginning to dawn. And Jesus stands, John 8, 12, and says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who comes to me will have light that leads to life. And there will be no more darkness. What is Jesus saying? He's saying he is God. That God has sent him as light. So that you and I can have life. But the most amazing part of the story to me. Is now that Jesus is gone. And he is in heaven at the right hand of God. Waiting for God to say go back. And until he does. 
Jesus has left you and I here to be the light that He came to reveal. How do I know? We just read it. We just quoted it. Listen to Matthew 5 again. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. What does that mean? It means as a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I, this church, are to go out into this world and radiate the glory of Jesus Christ. Go back and read the end of Exodus 33 and see what happens when Moses comes down after talking with God. He asks God, he says, God, show me your glory. And the God hides him in a cave and he puts a scarf over his face so that he won't die from seeing God's glory. But when he comes back down off the mountain, what is he doing? His face is radiating with the glory of God. The people are afraid of him because his face is shining light. That's what Jesus is telling us to do into this world. We are to radiate his glory and his light into a world of darkness. We're just to go and we're to live different lives. And we're to illuminate it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what he has called us to do. A verse I started praying for this church before I even became pastor here. It's a verse out of Isaiah, Isaiah 60. And it's a verse that is pointing to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it tells the church, it tells Christians, it tells you and me. It says, arise and shine for the glory of the Lord is upon you. Verse 2 says, soon, darkness as black as night will cover all the corners of this earth, but the glory of the Lord is upon you. Nations will come to see the light, and kings will come to see your radiance. We must understand that it is time to arise and shine for the glory of God. So that nations, so that kings will understand that life is only found in Jesus Christ. And when we believe in Him. Because there is no other way. That's what it means to be a lamp on a lampstand. Shining to bring light for everyone. Take this theme further. In the book of Revelation, in Revelation 2. Jesus is talking to the church, our church, and every other church that's ever existed since he left. He's telling the Apostle John to write a letter to the church, and this specific church is the church of Ephesus, the same church that Paul started and we have the book of Ephesians for earlier in the New Testament. And Jesus tells John to write this to the church in Ephesus. He says, tell them that they've forgotten their first love. What does that mean? It means they just got busy with life. And they got caught up doing so many things and raising a family and going to work that they've forgotten Jesus Christ, their first love. They've just forgotten about Him. they put Him back in a corner. They haven't been doing what they were supposed to do. And this is what Jesus says in Revelation 2.5. He says, look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent... I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Now we try to make that difficult to understand. What does it mean he's going to remove our lampstand? What did we just talk about in Luke 11 and Matthew 5? What do you do with a lamp? You place it on a stand to do what? Give light to everyone in the house, right? So all Jesus is saying here 
is if you don't repent and turn back to me, I'm just going to take my presence away from you. The same thing he did in Exodus 33 when the people of Israel sinned. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a church that didn't have the presence of God. But there's not a sadder place on this earth. Why? Because their lampstand, their witness, the light of Christ has been removed. And there's literally no point. Listen, I believe with all my heart that God is starting to pour out His Spirit on this place. His presence. Why? So that we can arise and shine. The glory of God is upon us. We can do one of two things. We can either kindle that presence and foster the presence of God and pray and be obedient and be faithful to His Word or we can quench it by simply saying no. That's all you have to do to quench the presence of God. Just tell Him no. And what does He do? He goes somewhere else to a people who will say yes. That's what He does. God has chosen you to live in this time, in this day, for His glory to accomplish His purpose. Listen to me. The purposes of God will be accomplished. They will either be accomplished through you or through someone else. And God leaves that choice up to you. You get to decide. We get to decide as a church. My prayer. Is that we will understand what Moses understood thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. It is only the presence of God that sets us apart from any of the people on this earth. Without his presence, without his light. We are no different from anyone. Will you stand? And will you rise? And will you allow the glory of God to shine on you? So bow with me, Lord. We love you. And we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the truth and the only truth that we can know. Lord, this morning I pray that your truth would go forth. And I pray that it would shine into the dark corners of our heart. And Lord, I pray that it would reveal sin in our life so that we can repent and come back to you. Lord, I pray that it would do the same in this world. That it would reveal darkness so that people can repent and run to the light. Lord, help us to be a city on a hill that is lit up bright so that people can run to it and find hope. Lord, we just give you this time and we pray that you would bless it and use it for your glory and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.